In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Judges, chapter 20. If you listen to our episode on the last chapter, you'll know about the gruesome crime committed by some of the Benjamite men in Gibeah against a Levite and his concubine. That chapter ended with the Levite sending parts of her body to the twelve tribes of Israel, calling for retribution and justice. In this chapter, we are witnesses to how they responded, as you might imagine, with outrage and force. They demanded the tribe of Benjamin to hand over those responsible, but their refusal sparks a civil war where all sides suffer heavy casualties. Good morning and blessed Eastertide to you. Today is Tuesday, April 25th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Explore their many offerings of foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, please join me in welcoming my guest this morning to help us study Judges chapter 20, the Reverend Dustin Beck, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, good morning to you. Good morning, Pastor Boo. It is great to be on with you. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing better than I deserve, as they say, and it's starting to warm up here in Minnesota. I'm, you're certainly no stranger to it being warm already down there in Texas, but we have a balmy 50 degrees, which makes me really excited. That means I can go outside and, in a t-shirt today. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, y'all don't still have snow on the ground? I just assume there's always snow up there. <laughs> we have some snow still on the ground, believe it or not. We had a couple 90-degree oh, days. It melted most of it. But mostly where we pile it up because of the clearing off the parking lots, um, sure. it was about 15 to 20 feet high off the church parking lot. And so oh, kids wow. would come. They call it Mount St. John. All the kids from the neighborhood would come and slide down it all winter. And we still wow. have tiny little mounds left over from it. So unfortunately, we're going to be reminded of snow at least for maybe another few weeks. Yeah, we don't have any snow down here in Texas. No, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know. You got other things, I suppose. It gets really hot in the summer, so that's no fun. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, we get to do all kinds of things outside year-round, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, last time I was in Texas, I was in Brownsville, Texas, so that's pretty much down there on the border. And uh, I remember run out of Texas down there. Yeah, we were, right? Well, we did, too. We actually went so far, we were in a different country. But we was... uh, I remember it being like over 100 with 100% humidity at midnight. It was pretty... It was pretty bad, actually. Yeah, that doesn't sound like much fun, does it? <laughs> well, it's, I'm happy to have you back. The last time you were on, I believe we were talking about Ruth, I think. Yeah, yeah, we had Boaz. Yeah, Boaz yes, and Ruth. Yes. That was good. So we're well, backing the to, clock up just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so today's chapter is, well, it's interesting in a different way. Um, it's mm. interesting, not as it's not as gruesome in its detail as what happened in the previous chapter, but what we're seeing here is the result of that, and we don't always in the Bible see the result of that so laid out as it is here, uh, so that's sure. what we're going to dig into today. Uh, before we do, though, um, would you like to start our time together in prayer? Oh, certainly, certainly. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, 
and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. I did say, and also with you, but my microphone was muted, so you didn't That happens. That happens. I, I, I expected that the audience, uh, the listeners all responded as well. <laughs> I'm sure they did. I, I could hear them. So, yeah, well, we yeah. have here in uh, chapter 20, but before we dig into 20, would you like mm. to let us know a little bit? And we actually are going to hear a little bit about it in chapter 20, but just catch sure. the people up to what's going on. Okay. Okay. So, you know, usually uh, when I'm asked to be on KFUO uh, Bible studies such as this, um, I get the, uh, the the chance to lead in with, oh, this is such a beautiful text. I'm so excited to just open our Bibles and read through it. This is not one of those. This is this is not one of the happy, uh, happy books of the Bible. This isn't one of the, the times when we look at it and we just say, oh, everything's going according to plan. This is so wonderful. This is so great. Uh, instead, what we have in the book of Judges uh, is we have... Um, sort of a a conquest that was not completed. Okay, so you remember the book of Joshua was all about the conquest, and it ended uh, with this sad state of affairs where Israel didn't finish the job. They didn't finish driving out all of the Canaanites. And in the book of Judges, what we see is that, unfortunately, Israel sort of becomes to, they, they become very Canaanite-esque in their lives, in their worship, in their idolatry. They become like the Canaanites instead of uh, overthrowing, driving out, devoting to destruction, everything like that. So we have um, a cycle that continues where the Israelites uh, sin, they fall into idolatry, they are oppressed uh, by the Canaanites or by others, Midianites, Ammonites, etc. Um, they repent. They are delivered by someone that God raises up to be a judge over them, uh, kind of a military hero, usually. Um, and then once they are delivered, they have a period of peace. Uh, after that, they sin again. They forget about God's faithful goodness. So in the first 16 or so chapters, you have uh, the unfolding of—we uh, have these six different judges that are kind of laid out for us. And um, each one of those sort of shows that there is a problem with the leadership. Uh, in Israel. And uh, you have Moses all the way back in the Pentateuch and uh, the Torah, who was, he was the man of God. He did the right things. I mean, except when he didn't. And then Joshua, I mean, he, he carried the mantle, have these judges, you know, and it seems like they're just kind of spiraling and circling towards the drain. Everything is going wrong on an individual level with the leadership which corrupts the people. And so in these last four chapters from 17 to 21, we see just the, the unfolding, not just of the leadership, but also of the people of Israel. And so we see that they're corrupt through and through. And it's summarized uh, in this, this statement that comes out several times uh, in the book of Judges that says, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, Pastor Boo, the problem here is that Israel actually did have a king. Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is their king, but they don't want him to be their king because he um, expects them to trust in him. He expects them to do things according to his will, according to the way that he directs and sends them and everything else. And they want to expand their borders in the ways that they want to, maybe by treaties uh, with, uh, with foreigners and with people who uh, worship foreign gods, maybe by intermarrying with the people of these other nations. And God is just not about that. Because when you marry yourself or when you uh, perform these treaties and you participate in their worship life with them, what winds up happening is you wind up selling yourself out to those other gods, to the, those pagan gods, um, to the point 
that Israel, again, like I said at the beginning, they are less and less looking like God's people, and they are more and more looking like the Canaanites. Um, so in the chapter leading up to today, uh, if our listeners weren't able to be with us yesterday, we had this really strange, and you you, you mentioned it's, it's gruesome, this strange thing where you have this unnamed Levite and he has a concubine and he goes after her back to Bethlehem. We've, we've heard of, of that place and rises up with her. They're traveling back towards Ephraim uh, in, in the land where he lives. And as they're on their way back, they come to Gibeah, a, a town of the tribe of Benjamin. And they wind up finding this place to, to stay for the night with this older gentleman. But then the men of the city come out and it's almost like a goodness, it's almost like a Sodom and Gomorrah situation where you have these people who are coming and they're wanting to do shameful things first with the Levite himself. And then ultimately they do with his concubine, with his, with his wife. And, um, to the point that she dies from it. And then, uh, as you mentioned in the opening, uh, opening, uh, moments of the show, he, he takes, uh, her body and he dismembers her. He, he cuts her into pieces. Did we mention this is not for the kids? This is not a PG um, uh, situation. Um, he sends those out by messengers to the tribes of Israel as sort of an invitation to come together. He says, things aren't going well for us, basically. We should all get together and, and we should talk about this and, and what we are going to do because of the, the treachery, the wickedness that is running through and through here um, with the people of Benjamin. And we should point out that while, yes, there is a need of repentance, there is a need to to turn and to come back and everything like that. I mean, this Levite, he's he's not acting righteously when he does this, you know? I mean, dismembering a corpse and sending it out. I mean, he's and he didn't treat her all that well in chapter uh, 19 either, but I think you and your guests talked about that yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's something that stood out to me is it, it seems as though he's so, like, I don't know, just like righteously indignant at, that they did this to his concubine, and yet his response is, well, leave a lot to be desired in the way he treated her, even the way in which he found her. You know, she's clinging yeah. to life. He's the one who threw her out there to the mob. And then the next day when she's clinging to life at the door, um, and she's probably just, passed by that point. But he's just like, all right, get up. Let's go. So her yeah, on the this guy and takes her exactly home. Goodness. Guy. Yeah. Right. Well, we're going to read through and through. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 20, okay. but I'm going to start with the last verse of chapter 19. Sounds good. So this is right after he divided her and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. Verse 30, And all who saw it said, Such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. Then all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the, the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man, uh, to Yahweh at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. And the people of Israel said, Tell us, how did this evil happen? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered and said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house against me by night. They meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. So I took hold of my concubine, I cut her into pieces, and sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed abomination and outrage in Israel. 
Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. And all the people arose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent, and none of us will return to his house. But now this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring up provisions for the people, that when they come they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage that they have committed in Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. Well, brother, one thing that stands out to me, besides the retelling, and again, I try not to add, I guess, too much inflection when I read this because I don't really know what the tone or timbre of his voice is, but I still, I just still get the idea that this Levite's presenting himself as having absolutely no culpability in any of this. You know, it's just like, I, it, yeah. I, you know, we just... We just threw it in the fire and this, this thing just jumped out, you know? <laughs> We've never heard that excuse saying. before. <laughs> right. They, yeah. Well, we surrounded, the people surrounded the house and then yada, 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 my, my concubine was murdered. But, yeah, he, he doesn't mention the inciting incident that brought that about, mm-hmm. which was that she had, had fled from him, um, either, you know, depending on translation and understanding of it, either out of, you know, uh, fits of anger you know, she fled from her husband or, um, you know, there was some infidelity. We, we don't exactly know the whole backstory to that. Um, but yeah, she's certainly, you know, she's the victim in all of this. And he is, he is not the, you know, driven as the pure as the driven snow to call back to snow in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, she, <laughs> That's right. You know, he is, is not innocent in this because I mean, the way that he, like you mentioned before, shamefully treated her, the fact that he, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, put her out uh, instead of, you know, I don't know, I guess being himself taken, killed, laying down his life for his wife. I mean, we we just you see as the book of Judges unfolds um, just how far Israel has fallen uh, to the point that they they don't know what right and wrong is. They don't know good from evil. They don't know what God's will is for them, because what is here and what will certainly follow is. I mean, there is there is going to be some degree of righteousness, and God uses uh, even things like this to bring about His will. Um, but nevertheless, it's it's not something that we we rejoice over for sure. Well, Judges is certainly full of intertribal conflict, but one thing that stands out to me is that it describes it as all the people of Israel against the people of Benjamin. It's right. really t- relating to us this account as if Benjamin was. Uh, the Canaanites or, you know, somebody, some other nation. It, it, it doesn't really even describe it so much as a civil war. We do because of we, we, we're looking at the broader context, but it's right. almost as though it's us against them. Um, and I, and I want to point out one other thing, too, and I'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, now, this isn't to minimize the, the travesty of what's happened to this woman, but why are they so upset by the death of this one woman surely there are in a time when people did what was right in their own eyes and there is no king except yeah. Yahweh who they ignored right hashtag not my king but they <laughs> surely there are brutal evil things going on all the time what about this one caused such a response yeah so i think that um it, and it goes back to uh you know 
you started the reading today with the final verse of the last chapter. All who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. So um, the fact that this is, I mean, and I think they're speaking specifically here because at this point they don't know yet about the uh, the full account until the Levite tells them. At this point, they're talking about this strange package. This is the, the weirdest, you know, the grossest, the, the most unspeakable way that you can imagine to invite people to come together and have a conversation. I mean, this is, you could say this is the straw that broke the camel's back. You could say this is that, um, that, that, um, that startling sound that wakes you from a deeper or that, that cold splash of cold water, you know, that kind of, you know, when it, when it hits you, you just, all of a sudden you go from deep, dark sleep, you know, in the middle of the night to all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're, we're up and we're, we're alert. We're ready to go. Um, I think that's what happens here with, uh, with the 11 tribes. And what I found to be interesting, I thought this was the direction you're going. I appreciate that, that, that comment um, is that why was this, the inciting factor where I thought you were going with it and, and something that I think is in, equally interesting in this text is the fact that Gibeah is just one city, right? Um, why does Benjamin as a tribe, as a, you know, a territory, you could say, um, why do they rise to defend this one city? And maybe it's not even the entire city. It's a, a gang of ruffians. It's a, a handful of rabble rousers. And so why does the entire tribe, the entire territory of Benjamin, why are they going to rise up uh, against the 11 other tribes, their 11 other brothers, their, their, their entire nation of Israel? Why are they rising up and, and defending these people? A lot of times uh, in our house, um, we've got three sons, and um, especially um, whenever they, whenever they're low on sleep or whenever they, you know, aren't making the best choices, they will do a thing that that uh, my wife and I refer to as doubling down. <laughs> I think that that's what we have with with the tribe right. of Benjamin, is that not only was the uh, the terrible thing done in the town of Gibeah. But now Benjamin is going to add to it that they're going to say, we're not going to turn these people over to you. We're not going to let you have these folks. No, because like you just mentioned, in these days, everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes. Who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Who are you to say that, that, that my cousins can't do this thing that they did? You know, you're, you're our more distant cousins. Your opinion doesn't really matter here. So I think that that's that's a fascinating thing that these people came together. And you mentioned that, you know, we refer to this as a civil war within Israel. There are stories from, you know, the American Civil War in the in the 19th century. There are accounts of, you know, brothers, you know, who would fight on opposite sides of the cause. I just I it really is a question for me uh, that, that is fascinating of this. Where do your loyalties lie? Because right now, I think everyone in the conversation is wrong, <laughs> right, <laughs> if, if right. we could say that. But Benjamin, uh, as a tribe, and specifically the men, the leaders of Gibeah, I, I think that they're more wrong, if we can those terms. <laughs> I wanted to highlight one thing you also brought out. When you sure. said that you know the thing that had never happened, because they didn't really know the whole story— uh, or perhaps they didn't know the whole story. I guess we don't know if there was a message attached or a messenger attached to the package, right. so to speak. But we also see here figuratively, and then also in some select cases, quite literally, now they all have blood on their hands. 
So th- when they receive yeah. this package, it's not like, hey, here's this awful thing that's happened, but they're holding the remains of this poor woman. But but in a more, I guess, figurative or um, I don't know how else to describe it, but in another grander, ethereal kind of way, you know, now the person who's received this package is looking at the bloody remains. And now I think what we're going to see here, at least symbolically, is that, as you just put it, pointed out, no one really has their hands clean in all of this. Sure. The way they respond and, and, here, even though the Lord uses it, and even as right. they'll respond in the next chapter, as they try to clean up the mess they made, is not very is not very God pleasing. So, and because of the casualties, we'll see there really is a judgment against everybody, not just Benjamin. And exactly. That's 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 a great point. Um, and and just as you're talking about, you know, the package, the the bloody package being sent out to all these different tribes, you know, it, it kind of popped into my head is, you know. If you come into contact with a dead body, you are ceremonially, ritually, you are mm-hmm. unclean. But then it kind of, you know, in the book of Judges, I don't know that they cared. I, I think that they are so far gone from even, you know, even having familiarity with the Torah, with with the um, the book of the law. I don't think that any one of them would have even had that thought. And so it's just us, you know, a couple of thousand years on the other side of it saying, ooh, you know, and according to Levitical law, they were now unclean for that reason. No, no, Pastor Boo, they were, they were already unclean through and through. It's just, you know, it's it now it's it's coming. I don't want to say the chickens are coming home to roost. Now it's it's kind of coming into focus. Now there is light being shown on it, and they're just saying, "Wow, any, did you guys get that same package that I just got? I never had anything like this happen before. <laughs> maybe maybe we should maybe we should reevaluate where we're at." <laughs> well, and verses eight, nine, and ten are phrased strangely. Um, all the people arose yeah. as one man, saying, "None of us will go to his tent. None of us return to his house." Nine. But this is what we're going to do. We're going to go up against it by lot. Now, there's a couple different renderings here. Um, I don't know if you want to take us into that, but regardless, what follows is, and we'll take 10 men of 100 throughout all the tribes of Israel, 100 of 1,000 and 1,000 of 10,000 to bring provisions for the people. It's a funny way to say 10%, but they're going right. to take, take these portions uh, to prepare to repay. Um, starting with the idea of the we're going to go up against it by lot, the ESV has obviously made its decision on the obscurity of this phrasing. Um, they sure. believe that the lot are the lots of men that will be going up to attack. But there are some versions that seem to think that they are casting lots to determine Yahweh's will in the matter. Um, right. And that's going to come up a little bit later. Just didn't know if you looked into that or have an opinion. Um, I I read a little bit about it, and I, I wasn't really uh, strongly convinced one way or the other. I, I think that um, I think it is kind of hard for us to. It, it would be a contrast to say that all of a sudden, right now, they're going to you know consult Urim and Thummim or something. You know that they're going to all of a sudden they're going to say, well, let's let's check in with God and see whether we should go to go to battle against uh, against <laughs> Benjamin. I mean, I think this is more a matter of, you know, we're we're not taking volunteers to go out. Um instead, you know, we're going to, you know, the way that they would have cast lots may have been, you know, I don't think they were quite drawing short sticks or anything like, you know, you drew the short stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it's going to be quite like that, uh, but they will, you know, choose this group, choose not choose that group, choose this family, not choose that family, choose this family member, choose you know, not choose that family member. Um, and they will do this in a way that 
they will understand to be um, as discerning God's um, God's choice for this. And it is interesting that they they do this by lot because they don't necessarily they're not necessarily doing all these God pleasing things, you know. And uh, I mean, judges just you know we 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 we've run away from the worship of God and, and faith in God uh, in this book, unfortunately, for the people here. But let's um, add that's verses. Why the book is, let's add verses twelve yeah, sure. through seventeen because I think oh sure it's I think add that'll add paint some picture. Yeah, yeah. So, and the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What evil is this that has taken place among you? Now, therefore, give up the men, the worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the people of Benjamin came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out of their cities on that day 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who mustered 700 chosen men. Among all these were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All these men were men of war. So I again you already brought it up but they basically said we want just the guys who did this because we're going to punish them we're going to put them to death we're going to purge them from our midst and yet at least in the narrative as we're being told by the author of judges they're they've already planned on how they're going to attack them so I wonder if they're going into this pretty well aware that the Benjaminites are not going to give up these guys but then of course that begs the question why not? Why go to war over some some uh, as the Bible translates worthless fellows? And I, I think that that's part of that is the the nonsensical nature of sin. You know, I mentioned doubling down before. Um, that's that's something that when people are right in the heat of the moment, when they are willing to die for their sin, for their idol, for their their false god they're not going to see the light. They're not going to stop because they are so confirmed in their darkness. Their hearts are so hardened like Pharaoh, you know, that they will not turn around and see. And um, that's, that's one of those mysteries uh, in, in the scriptures that I just, I don't know that we get a good answer to. If you've got one in mind, I'd sure love to hear it, but it's kind of like asking, why did Adam and Eve sin? They had, they had paradise, they had everything. Well, you can't really answer that question because, you know, we would have done the same thing probably. Yeah, I think that's exactly what the answer is, though. It's just we, we're, what we're not being told is important, and what we're not being told about are other rivalries that you know the Holy Spirit has not decided to reveal to us, other conflicts yeah. they've had. I mean, you said this was the last straw. Maybe this is the last straw on top of all kinds of other things that we aren't privy to, and maybe this is also just indicative of how maybe they couldn't pick out these worthless fellows because of the nature of... of their cities, they were all worthless. Yeah, and and so I think there's all kinds <laughs> of, th yeah, there's all kinds of things we can bring out. Well, we're getting ready to head to a break for in a few minutes. Uh, we still have a little bit of time, but I wanted to bring up Benjamin mustered out of their cities, you know, 26,700 men, <laughs> 700 of which who were um, left-handed stone slingers. And, and Israel mm. has 400,000 men. Uh, but again, Israel are, all the other 11 tribes versus this one. So the difference in numbers isn't surprising. I think how that works out in the future here in just a few minutes will be surprising. But 
Uh, tell us about the numbers. Tell us, get, get started telling us about the stone slingers sure. before we go to break. Yeah, so it's it's a staggering, staggering outnumbering with uh, with Israel against Benjamin here. Uh, I would point out, as a left-handed individual, uh, that lefties are usually worth two or three of uh, of any right. No, that's that's not true. Don't don't. <laughs> oh, you sinister people! Yes. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're live. Um, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I mean, this is this is every bit of an underdog situation, which the Book of Judges has has revealed at times you know you have Gideon and his 300 you have Samson all by himself um it's not going to go that way quite this time you know God is not going to be on their side um but you do have uh the people of Benjamin coming together with all of these mighty men and their uh their left-handed people who would have been a little bit it's kind of like in baseball when you come up against a left-handed pitcher you know and you face mostly right-handed pitchers it just it, it looks different coming out of that hand, you know? So when somebody is, is either casting a stone with a sling or when somebody even draws their sword with their left hand and you're a right-hander, like most people, you know, you look at that and you just say, that's, you know, they have an advantage because they're coming at me from the other side against what I've practiced. So, I mean, everything is being painted at this point to look like, you know, Benjamin might have a chance. Uh, God always seems to be on the, on the little guy's side. It seems like, you know, the David versus Goliath situation, what's going to happen? But again, we need to bear in mind that no one is innocent in this, that no one is uh, is the good guys uh, in the story. There's just the less less bad guys, maybe. <laughs> I agree to that. Well, we'll look into that more when we come back from break. But for now, folks, don't go anywhere. Pastor Beck and I will keep on going through Judges 20. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Dustin Beck, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Folks, I'm so grateful that you have joined us this morning. Whether you're joining us live on the air or on demand at KFUO or later as a podcast, if you enjoy listening to the program, would you be so kind as to share your love of the show with your friends and family? And remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can direct them to me at PastorBoo at gmail.com, or you can find me on Facebook. Drop by, say hello. I'm encouraged that you tune in and grow in faith with me and my guests each weekday. So again, thank you so much for listening. All right, so Pastor Beck, before we went to the break, you were just highlighting the different sizes in their forces, 26,000 plus or minus a few, and then 400,000. But you also said this isn't consistent, I mean, sorry, isn't inconsistent, like uh, when we see Gideon's 300. 
But I would say, though, that typically when we see the smaller to the larger, it's to demonstrate God's power and ability to bring victory even for a, a small number so that they know the victory is, is his rather than theirs. That's not exactly what happens in this case either, though. No, no, you, you, you don't get that here. Um, you know, and so it's, it's interesting that um, this is almost kind of, it's setting up for us um, like there's, I mean, it, it, there will be a little bit of a surprise, you know, because we've seen Gideon, we saw, you know, Samson by himself, we saw things unfold. And we've seen, you know, Israel has, has always sort of had this, this, you know, they're the scrappy ones, but it's not just they're scrappy, it's that God is with them. Okay. Um, and so maybe this is setting up and, and the Benjaminites are going to be a little bit surprised by this, that, well, it's us against the whole world. You know, I mean, I think, and we talked about this uh, before the break, we talked about the fact that, you know, people who are kind of confirmed in their disbelief, people who are um, doubling down on, uh, on, on doing the wrong thing, when you're in that situation, when you're in that, that conviction that your way is the right way, it's often hard to, to even be, you know, swayed from seeing yourself as the bad guy in the room. You know, I don't think that Benjamin, the Benjaminites were as a man here. Um, I don't think that they were, you know, they were even aware of, well, I mean, you know, those, those, those boys in, in, in Gibeah, they, they mean well, you know, they just, you know, they, they, they like to have a little bit of fun. Or maybe it was, you know, that maybe that maybe there was a misunderstanding. Well, that Levite, you know, he was a jerk of a guy. Who knows? But right. people find a way of attempting to justify themselves. And, you know, who tells their life story, their bio, you know, autobiography as, and I was the bad guy in that. You know, I mean, maybe guys like Martin Luther, you know, but most of us, you know, you're the you're the hero of your story. And so I think it was probably that way for the Benjaminites. They said, well, you know, this will just be one more time when God's going to show up for us. <sighs> Or maybe they weren't even thinking about God. We get some of that in verse 18 when Israel is actually going to surprisingly, they're going to actually ask God a question. That's but, right. That's right. They are going to yeah. ask the Lord to see what to do. And uh, and with those numbers, let's, let's see if we're surprised with the outcome of their first interaction. Uh, let's read verses 18 all the way through 23. Sounds the good. people of Israel arose and went up to Bethel and inquired of God, who shall go up? first for us to fight against the people of Benjamin. And Yahweh said, Judah shall go up first. Then the people of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to fight against Benjamin, and the men of Israel drew up the battle line against them at Gibeah. The people of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and destroyed on that day 22,000 men of the Israelites. But the people, the men of Israel, took courage and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. And the people of Israel went up and wept before Yahweh until the evening. And they inquired of Yahweh, Shall we again draw near to fight against our brothers, the people of Benjamin? And Yahweh said, Go up against them. Now we'll take a pause there. So sure. I, again, we don't know because we're not told, but I wonder how Yahweh communicated that Judah should go up first. Yeah. So, I mean, there, 
it's it's kind of it's my understanding that in the uh, in the high priest's ephod, right in his chest piece, uh, there are the twelve different stones that represent the twelve different tribes, and that they would have, you know, uh, they would have drawn out one of the stones or something along those lines. Uh, we don't exactly know, like you mentioned, the the mechanics of all of this, but this was the way that they actually discerned God's will. Now, this contrasts what we talked about before the break, which is, you know, when they're when they're choosing, you know, their fighters, their their warriors, and everything by lot. Are they are they, you know, asking God or they, well, they're in a way they're entrusting that to God. But I also, I wonder if here in verse 18, um, they're kind of just wondering, like, how do we, how do we do this? How do we go fight against our, our, our kinsmen? How do we go fight against these people who are also of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob? And so they finally, somebody has the idea, uh, we could go to the tabernacle it's all the way up in Bethel, but we, we could go up there and we could, we could, that way God is the one who's telling us, you know, who has to be the the one that goes and, and does this thing. The, the lot here, uh, God's choice is Judah, who also, by the way, uh, were the, they were the first forces to come into the promised land uh, back in Joshua. They uh, always sort of have this place of prominence and they will again, um, uh, in a couple of books, when we're in first Samuel and second Samuel, when we see uh, the kingdom passing from Saul, I think not by accident, a Benjaminite and David of the tribe of Judah. We'll see this back and forth again uh, between Judah and Benjamin. Uh, but yeah, so right now we see this this first initial, I mean, you don't want to call it a skirmish. I mean, this is a full on battle. 22,000 men of the Israelites alone, right? It seems like God is showing up for his, for his, uh, his guys uh, over in Benjamin, right? And so they go back to God and they ask him again, did we do something wrong? You know, this is kind of reminds me of the, um, it's, it's AI in back in Joshua, right? Where they like, okay, well, we're going to do this and we're going to, we're going to beat these guys just like we, we did at, at, at Jericho and things just do not work out. Well, you didn't inquire of God. Oh, okay. Well, we, we want to inquire of God and see if we, did he not want us to do this? Maybe their consciences are starting to wake up a little bit. I don't know, but, uh, the Lord Yahweh again says, "Go up against them." So, yeah, you know, uh, what did what did I miss in that passage? Well, I don't know what you missed anything, but you know, we have <laughs> eleven tribes that are going up against the one, and the tribes sure. are of different sizes, which means it makes sense when they say, "Well, we're going to divide it up sort of per capita, ten percent, right, ten of a hundred. But without having all the numbers and all the calculating in front of me. I just took 400,000 divided by 11, and I got 36,363, 63 repeating, uh, men. So if you're looking at, say, 40,000 men of, of this first tribe, Judah, perhaps a little more, but let's just say 40,000 for the sake of argument, they got half of them. You know, they killed half of them. And there would have yeah. still been um, unequally matched, assuming that the Benjamites, Benjaminites sent out all of their men. Or maybe and that they didn't those, lose anybody, yeah. Or may, and they didn't lose anybody. Or maybe it's just those seven hundred left-handed sinister slingers, right? You who, know, that, those guys, a, right? But you know, well, all that I got to say to that is, I would have hated to have been the the point six three repeating guy. I, I would have hated to have been him. Sorry, we don't need yeah, your, well, that, maybe your right arm and your your leg from the <laughs> knee down. Oh, maybe there you go. That's, but you know, that's, that's good work with the calculator. That, I like that. <laughs> the thing about that though is that. By the way, a lot of ink has been spilled. I don't want to go back to it too much, but on those left-handed guys, a lot of ink has been spilled yeah. on this concept that be, the reason why they're mentioned as being left-handed 
is because it's kind of like a left-handed pitcher or an ambidextrous pitcher. You know, you oh, can't, yeah. it's hard to defend against or it's harder to defend against. I have no idea. But the point is, uh, this is a big <laughs> loss. I just wanted to illustrate that this is a huge loss. Their first time going up against them. And it highlights what you said, which is perhaps they're going to the Lord going, uh, should we even try again? And yeah. Yahweh, knowing what's going to happen next because he's God, says, yep. Go up against them again. <laughs> go get them. And if you haven't figured it out yet, it's probably not going to go well for them again. Right, right. God, God tells uh, Israel now to double down. He says to go back against them. He says it's uh, um, maybe he's saying here that you're the less the less wrong of the two. <laughs> yeah. um, but the idea is there that yes, yeah, it's it's time. We got the the battle. The fight is not over yet. So well, that's exactly what and they're with that do. amazing segue. Let's go into verses mm. 28 through 24. Here we go. <laughs> so the people of Israel came near against the people of Benjamin the second day, and Benjamin went against them out of Gibeah the second day and destroyed 18,000 men of the people of Israel. All these were men who drew the sword. Then all the people of Israel, the whole army, set up and came to Bethel and wept. And they sat there before Yahweh, and they fasted that day until evening and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before Yahweh. And the people of Israel inquired of Yahweh, for the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, ministered before it in those days, saying, Shall we go out once more to battle against our brothers, the people of Benjamin, or shall we cease? And Yahweh said, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. So second battle, 18,000 more men. They go back to God, and they're like, fingers crossed behind their backs. Please say no, please say no, please say no. They go, can we, <laughs> should we go back out again? God says go. But anyway, take us through the second battle. It's it's pretty much the same as the first. They they get their uh, their rear ends whooped, as we might say. Right. This is, and, and this is. This, so this is a, um, you know, uh, the in-depth, this is the uh, the explanation, sort of the unpacking of verse 23. Because, you know, they inquired of the Lord, shall we draw near to fight against them again? So we hear about this. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is just terrible uh, for the people of Israel as they see what is happening, as they watch as their, their brothers uh, are, are being, you know, cast down. They return back. Um, finally... You know, it's, it's kind of like the, the book of Judges has already shown us that pattern that we talked about right at the opening uh, where the people sort of they remember God and not just remember God and give him lip service and say, should we go? And, you know, which tribe should go first? Uh, but now they're actually starting to do some worship things. OK, they're they're fasting until the evening. They're offering burnt offerings and peace offerings. We haven't heard that kind of language in a in a minute. Right. OK. Um, and then they go back to the Lord. And it says here very specifically in verse 27 that the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. So and we have the uh, yeah, the grandson, uh, Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron, uh, who is ministering there. He is the high priest. And uh, so they're going to ask the same question, and God's going to give them the same answer. But he adds in, tomorrow I'll give them into your hand. So don't exactly know if there's uh, any uh, any hay to be made out of that, uh, but the fact that um, that God attacked that promise this time, you know, uh, is is sort of God is God is going out there and He's saying, no, listen, you can trust in me, 
what I say, you know, will come to pass. And maybe, you know, what has changed here is they're not just going to consult with God, but they're going to to worship. They're going to start doing some of the things that their their grandparents had done in the wilderness. Some of the the sacrifices, some of the fasting, some of the peace offerings, some of the things that would tie them back into the right worship of God, as was laid out in the book of the law. Um, so maybe that's where you know God looks at it and He says, maybe their eyes are starting to open just a little bit. Um, and I, I don't think that we should understand this as God being kind of quid pro quo, because I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think it is. You know, God says, "Oh well." Now they're doing this for me, so now we're going to do that. Because remember, the book of Judges was not written for the the people who are in the book of Judges. It's written for you and for me and for, for ancient Israel uh, as they um, received a king, right? We, the whole time, should be saying Yahweh is their king already, and they're not listening to him. What did you say? Hashtag not my king. Oh, that was brilliant. That's right. Um, right. So as they get... Uh, Saul and then David and then Solomon and Rehoboam and the line continues, um, they're supposed to look back at the book of Judges as a cautionary tale. They're supposed to look back at it and say, oh, we got to not be like that where we do the things that are right in our own eyes. We got to not be like like the Benjaminites who are doing this terrible thing. They, uh, they remember the Torah and all that they remember is the stuff in Sodom and Gomorrah and they're on the wrong side of that. So it's always supposed to be we go back and we read and we see that these people are acting, you know, in accordance with God's word, in accordance with his will. But we never think that God is some kind of a, you know, like I said, quid pro quo, kind of this for that, kind of a, a vending machine God where, you know, if you give him the right worship, then he'll turn around and he'll, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll bless you or he'll give you the victory. That's, that's not the way that God operates. Um, but God uh, does, he blesses the faithful Right. And he punishes the wicked. And we are going to see that uh, as the verses unfold. But um, I'll I'll let you uh, comment as well. Well, thanks. I certainly see it and agree (laughs) with you wholeheartedly that this isn't a quid pro quo. This isn't God throwing them a bone because they're starting to be more religious. I see it, as I'm sure you do, too, the exact opposite way. That is, God is drawing them into back into this life of worship of him. So, you know, really, he's already laid out what's going to happen but he also knows that by doing what he's doing this is going to draw them a little bit closer to him now i I do want to go ahead and read the next section which is 29 through 36 and this is the first half of of well you know they have been promised that i will give them into your hand from god go up again tomorrow and and they would be right to be suspicious since he said go up yesterday and it didn't work out But this time he's added that promise. Here we go. So Israel set men in ambush around Gibeah, and the people of Israel went up against the people of Benjamin on the third day and set themselves in an array against Gibeah as at other times. And the people of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. And as at other times, they began to strike and kill some of the people in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the other to Gibeah and in the open country about 30 men of Israel. And the people of Benjamin said, They are rooted before us as at the first. But the people of Israel said, Let us flee and draw them away from the city into the highways. And all the men of Israel rose up out of their place and set themselves in array at Baal Tamar. And the people of Israel, who were in ambush, rushed out of their place from Ma'ara Geba, 
And there came against Gibeah 10,000 chosen men out of all of Israel, and the battle was hard. But the Benjaminites did not know that disaster was close upon them. And Yahweh defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the people of Israel destroyed 25,100 men of Benjamin that day, and all these were men who drew the sword. So the people of Benjamin saw they were defeated. Uh, let's pause there. There's still actually plenty of text left, but let's pause know, there for a this moment. this is a long text. Goodness. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Take us through this real quick before we wrap up the text. Yeah, so we'll go right quick through this. I mean, this, again, is going to be very reminiscent of uh, the book of Joshua when we have uh, the people uh, at Ai, and they sort of set this ambush where they're going to draw them out of the city walls, and Israel's going to be in the retreat and everything like that. And as the people pursue um, well, they're going to come back in behind them and they're going to surround them and everything else. So this is uh, a plan that demonstrates, first of all, that it's not about the numeric strength of uh, Israel. Uh, notice, I mean, the, the most beautiful detail in this very awful, you know, chapter of just, you know, bloodshed and, and hatred and everything is verse 35. And Yahweh defeated Benjamin before Israel. So it wasn't even the Israelites. It wasn't Judah. It wasn't because they had so many people. Notice that the 10,000 chosen men from Israel in verse 34, that's that's not a very big group. We do have the underdog, the smaller army that's winning. It's just not the smaller army that we thought was going to win, right? And maybe that's, you know, their numbers have been somewhat decimated. I don't think you get from 400,000 down to 10,000 all that easily. But um, no, I mean, you've got... Um, this 10,000, this group of 10,000 that are going to show up and they are just going to lay waste uh, to the Benjaminites. 25,100 casualties in one day. They don't mention a single lefty uh, being struck down. Maybe that's uh, just assumed, but I don't know. Maybe the left-handed guys were just all that, all that much better. I don't know. That's oh, maybe. Just maybe. speculation. <laughs> or they were in the back, so, you know, hiding. So no, now we have, no. <laughs> well, let's finish up the text because it does give sure. the rest of the battle. And the, and the end is really important. Yeah. The men of Israel gave ground to Benjamin because they trusted the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. Then the men in the ambush mm-hmm. hurried and rushed against Gibeah. The men in ambush moved out and struck all the city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men in the main ambush was that when they made a great cloud of smoke rise up out of the city, the men of Israel should turn in battle. Now, Benjamin had begun to strike and to kill about 30 men of Israel, and they said, surely they are defeated before us, as in the first battle. But when the signal began to rise out of the city in a column of smoke, the Benjaminites looked behind them, and behold, the whole of the city went up in smoke to heaven. Then the men of Israel turned, and the men of Benjamin were dismayed, for they saw that disaster was close upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them, and those who came out of the cities were destroying them in their midst. Surrounding the Benjaminites, they pursued them and trod them down from Nohah as far as opposite Gibeah on the east. 18,000 men of Benjamin fell all of the men of valor, and they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimnon. Rimon. Five thousand men of them were cut down in the highways, and they were pursued hard to get them, and two thousand men of them were struck down. So all who fell that day of Benjamin were twenty-five thousand men who drew the sword, all of them men of valor. 
but 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the Rock of Rimon and remained at the Rock of Rimon four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the people of Benjamin and struck them with the edge of the sword, the city, men, and beasts, and all they found, and all the towns that they found, they set on fire. And that's how the chapter ends. Um, uh, besides just the battle imagery, it's told, we're told several times that these are all of them men of valor. So I guess the, the Lord here is wanting us to know that it's not because they were weak, but because he is right. strong. Absolutely. And, and I mean, as this unfolds, you know, when I hear these, uh, these words, it is just, it, it hits you right in the gut. You know, I mean, you see that uh, Israel is exacting uh, the revenge uh, on behalf of this Levite, and uh, they are acting, you know, uh, in God's righteous wrath. But I can't help but think, I mean, they're, they're going, they're taking the the righteous indignation of God, and they're using it um, as a pretext um, to basically wipe out Benjamin. And I mean, that's what the next chapter tomorrow is going to be all about, is the fact that, you know, we'll does this mean that Benjamin is not is not going to exist anymore? They don't have men for uh, to to raise up, you know, families and everything. So, is that what we are witnessing here as this text unfolds? Is the blotting out of an entire tribe of the twelve? I mean, it, it is just it is staggering to hear these words and to see uh, the specificity with which the writer of Judges uh, recounts this to us of. Uh, first of all, the way that the the battle and the ambush and everything goes, but then even going so specifically as to the places where people were fleeing towards and where these guys were hiding and how many thousand were uh, were falling at the, the edge of the sword here and there and everywhere else. Um, and what you can see is just that um, Israel, their army is just being ruthless to the point that they are just they're burning down the city. They're killing the beasts. They're, they're just, I mean, this is, this was the stuff they were supposed to be doing to the Canaanites back in right. Joshua. And now here they are treating Benjamin in the same way. Now here they are, um, Benjamin, the transformation is complete. Benjamin, at least it seems they have turned into Canaan. And so God is punishing these Benjaminites turned Canaanites by the sword of Israel. Um, Lord have mercy. Not a not a not a beautiful ending here. <laughs> no, it's not. And with the two essential victories in battle by the Benjamites, yeah. Benjaminites, it's hard to say, against the rest <laughs> of Israel, I see God, and I don't mean this in a human way, but I see God playing both sides. He's mm. exercising his judgment against both because going right. back to that symbolism at the beginning, really all of them have blood on their hands for the way that they've yeah. departed from the will and ways of the Lord. And to quote an excellent movie uh, from uh, 1983, War Games, I feel like oh, the lesson yeah. here is that the only way to win is not to play. That is, yes. that not in terms of uh, pacifism, but in terms of the unity of Israel, their dependence is going to be on, A, recognizing, as you've brought out several times, they do have a king, and it's Yahweh, and they have to be unified. And both of those things are true. They need to be unified, but also unified in something, and that is proper worship and following God's laws. Oh, completely agree. Yeah, beautifully said. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left in the program, so I will leave it to you to give us some parting thoughts on this or anything. Okay, else. so where is the gospel in Judges chapter 20? 
<laughs> oh, tune in next time. No, go ahead. Tune in next time. Yeah. So, I mean, what we see as this chapter unfolds in front of us, again, I, I like the the term, the concept of a cautionary tale, um, the idea that this is an example, but in reverse. This is what faithlessness looks like. This is what brokenness looks like. Now, we do know that God remains faithful, that God is still there, and he is love. He is loving towards these people. Um, and as you just mentioned, when you say, you know, not in a human way, but God is playing both sides. When bad stuff happens, when calamity strikes, when pandemics and famine and everything else, when it comes, the point of that, we can't ever assign a this for that. Well, we did this sin, so God's giving us that punishment. But the point is always the same, that we would repent of our sins, of our wicked idolatry, of the times when we've been more like the Canaanites than the Israelites, and instead that we would repent and look to Jesus. The point is always that Jesus is the king. The point is always that Yahweh is in charge. Israel, they had a king. They shouldn't have been doing what was right in their own eyes, and neither should we. So when we look to this chapter, we see when sin wrecks people's lives, and we can look to a God uh, who is in the business of redeeming and forgiving people's lives, bringing us life even where there is death. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dustin Beck, pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show again. It's been a great privilege. Thank you. Folks, tomorrow we bring the book of Judges to a close. Wouldn't it be nice if Judges ended with the Israelites having finally learned to follow in the ways of the Lord and heeding his will? Well, it doesn't. Join us tomorrow as we wrap up the book of Judges right here on Thy Strong Word. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.